Welcome to The Pin Down, a Detroit Pistons podcast. I am your host, Wes Davenport from Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys. And as always, I am joined by my stellar co-host, DVB's draft expert, Blake Silverman. Blake, how are you doing today, man? Doing, doing good, Wes. And today was a big day for you, so I have to give you uh, congratulations. Yes, I don't, I don't want to butcher exactly what it was, but I think I can confidently say that you are one degree greater as of today. I am. Yeah, I am. We uh, we went through, drove, uh, didn't drive out. My parents drove out, but uh, we flew out to uh, Washington, D.C. area, graduated uh, from George Mason University with a master's in economics. And yeah, man, uh, crazy journey. It's been a lot of fun. I'm, 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 I'm pumped. I don't, it, it was surreal. It was, it was surreal actually walking out there. It was really, really cool. I, I appreciate the That's shout amazing. out. That's amazing. Congratulations. Huge weight off the shoulders. Uh, so very happy for you. And oh, you're yeah. very you're very dedicated to be here talking some hoops on graduation day in your hotel room. On my phone, too. We were having some technical issues, which is why my, my video doesn't look, uh, well, not that my video looks great, but it, it's not the full screen right now. So, uh, yeah, exactly. That, that's what's going on. And I mean, how, who wouldn't want to talk about the Pistons after that 76 or something? Oh, man. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's just gets it. It's weird because I kind of go into every game, like not knowing what to expect, but kind of knowing how the game will go, uh, not expecting them to beat the Sixers by any means. I think they were competitive at least in the first quarter for a bit until fouls became an issue. But yeah, man, I, I don't know how many weeks that we've been talking about it for now, but this team needs a win in the worst way. They really do. They, they, they really do. And I mean, since we've last recorded, right, we've had the loss to the magic, which was an, an utter blowout. It, it was never competitive. Uh, a, you know, I guess you could call it a, a moral victory uh, in in, in uh, against the Pacers. That was a good game. It was a closer game. They just, you know, you couldn't get a stop in the fourth quarter against a really almost historically good Indiana offense. So, you know, I, I guess grain of salt on that one. But this Sixers team, man, they're they're good. Joel Embiid is. I, I don't love watching him play, but he is an incredible talent. Uh, this team, the 76ers, are filled top to bottom with. Very, very strong players. Um, yeah, I, like you said, it wasn't shocking that they lost, but there's always that little grain of hope that you know maybe, maybe this is the night, right? Maybe this is the one. And um, yeah, the the forty some points from Joel Embiid made sure that wasn't going to. Yeah, happen. and I mean, it, it seems like the Pistons' glaring issue is like they need someone who can consistently come in and get a bucket. Um, like Cage struggled last night. Like Bojan yes. has been huge. He had a great game. But like teams like Philly have, if, if someone is off or has an off night, like they likely have someone else that can go off. Like I know Kelly Oubre was pretty hot, at least in the first half, at least. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he's traditionally been like a Pistons killer too. I remember that game when he was in Charlotte, where I think he was like flirting with the three point uh, single game record. So. Uh, yeah, seeing him go off like that is a little bit of PTSD and it just like reinforces, we really just need some additional rotation guys who, who can score the ball, man. No, I mean, I, I agree. And obviously we, we've talked about it quite a bit, but 
you know, you, you bring up Kate Cunningham and, and he did, he, he really struggled from the floor. Um, I'm looking at the, the numbers now. He was five of 17. So that's under, under 30%, uh, I, I believe. If not under, it's like, it's right at it in 30 minutes too. So he, he had plenty of volume, but, but this was almost a game. I've kind of been waiting to see out of him for a long time now. And that's, that's that he really, really struggled from the floor. But, you know, he still got 21 points against the 76ers. He got to the line 12 times. I think he went 11 for 12. We, we really haven't seen that kind of game uh, out of Kane Cunningham where he's off, he can't find a rhythm. But you know what? He's still put up his 20 points. He still contributed to, the, to a competitive game for, you know, maybe three-ish quarters. He was a really important cog when the Pistons, uh, for the Pistons out there on the court. So, you know, going back to his rookie year, going back to the first few games in that second year, we just we just didn't see that. That shot wasn't falling. He, you know, he was pretty much just a passer rebounder. So it was, it was like the worst good game kind of situation. You, you know what I mean? Where like I was really happy to see that. Like, okay, you know, he can he can go get twelve free throws in a game. That's good. We really need to see that from him. But then at the same time, you know, he was three for whatever. Uh, not great. So good in the yeah, bad, and I guess. I mean, I don't think he scored in the first quarter. Uh, he he picked up two fouls in the first, and he, he got going a bit in the second. So And plus, he didn't play or barely played in the fourth quarter just because of how bad the game got at that point. So... I mean, the the scoring production was really in two quarters of play. Like in the first, he did other things. He had like seven assists and six rebounds as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely nice to see him get going a bit. Um, Bojan, of course, went off for thirty three points. Um, he other than those two there wasn't really much offensive efficiency. The next leading scorers were Asar Thompson and actually James Wiseman, who put together a good first quarter and I think overall first half when Isaiah Stewart got into early foul trouble. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was nice to see Cade impact the game in some other ways when he wasn't scoring early. And then, like you said, just getting to the line, even though the shot wasn't really falling, um, and that's what good players do. They find other ways to impact the game and find ways to score. So that was great to see. Well, and this is another game too, where one turnover, one, seven assists, one turnover. He had six rebounds, 21 points, three fouls, which one of them uh, was a little ticky tack, but we can, that's what you get when you play the 76ers. Um, so like, Honestly, very good game from him outside of just putting the ball in the hoop, which we've seen him do quite a bit anyway, you know, uh, for most of this year. So it, I don't know, like it, it's tough pulling a positive out of a game like that, uh, both for the team and for, you know, Cade Cunningham when he goes five for 17. But, you know, seeing 12 free throws, that was, I think that's a really important step. And I'm hoping that can lead to some more things. But, uh, let's talk about a little, a little bit about James Wiseman. Cause you're right. He came, he was balling out for a little bit. He was making Embiid work on both ends of the court for just a little bit. It was impressive. I, I did not see that coming. You could have given me 
10 guesses on what would have happened in that game. James Wiseman playing really well against Joel Embiid. Never would have guessed that. That was great. Shout out James yeah, Wiseman. I mean, I think he got like a couple buckets right away when he came in, when Stu picked up a couple quick fouls. And um, he had a like a few more. I mean, he ended with 10 points. It It was like, I think the whole just the matchup wasn't good for us, like just in general. And then when you consider like Jalen Duran mainly being out with injury and Stu getting the main assignment on Embiid, you also have Marvin Bagley hurt. So James Wiseman is really your only other guy who can play the five besides Stu and Stu probably shouldn't even be playing the five. So yeah, I mean, Wiseman went five for seven. Uh, The bad part of it was is, he picked up, he, he fouled out uh, fairly early in the fourth yes. quarter. And when Stu picked up that flagrant two, uh, Wiseman was already at five fouls and then picked up his six shortly thereafter, which left us in a Kevin Knox playing the five scenario, uh, which is not ideal. But yeah, it was nice to see Wiseman just like get in there and, and do some things. Uh, I mean, I know he, he struggled, yeah. so... That was nice to see. I'm not sure how long-term that's going to be, but at least for one game where we didn't have depth and needed someone to step up, he he did in a sense. Absolutely. And, you know, I will say with him, uh, I think this is two games now where I've been fairly impressed with him uh, on defense, which could not have said uh, at any other point this season. I mean, okay, you know, Joel Embiid lights him up. Great. Joel Embiid lights everybody up. Outside of Joel Embiid, he seemed to be in the right spot on some of his rotations. He seemed to be active and communicating. He was really using his length, which is something I've noticed is a little bit different uh, these past couple of games. He's really leveraging those like hawkish arms that he has, just extending all the way up from outside his body. Massive arms. And he's using them. It, he's using them to his advantage. So, you know, hopefully if that can be sustainable, you know, maybe this is a little bit of a, a renaissance for James Wiseman uh, on the, if he can be an effective defensive player, I think, you know, this is, is he's never going to be that, that superstar center that people thought he might when he was drafted, but if he could be an effective defender, I think he could have a role. If not in Detroit, then, then somewhere else. And that's my wife. <laughs> Jill. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we got, so she's here, we got my parents here, we got my mother and father-in-law here, we got a whole party. It's a great time in Washington, D.C. But you know what? I'm here and talking J- about the Pistons, I'm talking about the Pistons. <laughs> and I want to hear what you think about James Wiseman's defense. Am I crazy? Have you seen I this I thought it, it was better at talking about uh, against the Sixers. It was better than I thought. I Honestly, I did notice a few times where he kind of got – lost and was kind of just scrambling to find Embiid. Um, But other than that, I thought overall he wasn't like glaringly bad out there. I mean, do I trust him on that defensive end of the floor? Like as your primary backup big, probably not. I'm not sure if we'll ever get to that point, but if he could be like a third big that, is on the bench that's there to provide support. If you don't want to mess up your rotations, if someone gets into early foul trouble or just depth, if you need, like he, 
I mean, just like the way he was able to score last night was was huge. I mean, it didn't really result in anything for the greater team. But if he could be that guy, I think that might be his role. Is that what you expect out of him when you he's drafted number two overall or when you trade for him? Like, probably not. You're hoping for a bit more. But, I mean, you need those guys on your bench, like, you want your third big to be more of like, you want them to hang, hang their hat on defense, but another guy like with a team that just really can't score a lot of times, maybe it can work. Like I'm saying maybe as a stretch, but at least the last couple games I've liked what I've seen from him specifically. All right. So you mentioned uh, not being, as good as it as it looked or, or something to that effect i've got i've got a name for you that i thought did not have as good of a game as his stat line would have suggested and i i want to know if you think i'm i'm a little crazy for this one or not but i was not very impressed with Bojan bogdanovich i know he went off he had 33 points he shot it really well from the floor five of nine i think from three but man he struggled he struggled to stay in front of guys on defense. He was borderline liability on that end, worse than usual for him. Like, I, I think Boyan is usually approaching replacement level. I thought that was pretty, pretty bad. And then the the worst part was, you know, in the first half, uh, when he's out there, they were there were a few times where they cut the deficit down close to or just under 10, and he'd get an open shot, and he'd miss. And like, though. Those are the ones you need your 34-year-old veteran to hit, you know, when the team's feeling good, getting a little bit of momentum going their way, and you get your best shooter on the team, a wide-open look, and he clanks it. And, like, you put those two things together, like, yeah, he had 33 points, I know, but I didn't think that was a very good game from him. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because this team, like, needs his scoring, like someone who can – hunt shots, like just make tough shots. Like I wasn't able to watch the full game live last night. So I rewatched it today. And there was one where he drove to the corner and he like Embiid went up to help and Bojan just did like a fade away. It just, it just not like high performance shot. He made it, but when he shot it, I was like, Oh my God, what, what is that shot? So it's nice to have someone like that defensively. I like I think we all knew his concerns and maybe when he came back from injury he had more energy he wanted to try to end the losing streak whatever it might be like I feel like I noticed more than what I thought from him defensively in his first few games back so I I I would hope that that doesn't scale back but maybe it is like he's been a part of however many losses that he's been back for. So I'm sure it got to him as he was sitting on the sitting on the bench. Maybe it's getting to him now. I don't really want to like make an excuse for it, but those things are like kind of what I expect from him defensively, which stinks because like, I feel like you just need this team needs a guy like him who can get you a bucket when you need to. Cause not a lot of guys on the floor you can trust to do that right now. No, I agree. And when you're talking about some of the shot selection stuff, like 
I can think of at least three step back misses from either either three or or the mid range that he just flat out should not have shot. You know, not end of the clock bombs, fairly early to mid middle of the clock, step back, contested, fading away. Like move that ball. He, he shouldn't be taking that shot. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought he could have been quite a bit better uh, than he was. So, all right, I, I want to hit on one more thing from this game, and I'm going to be excited because it's not Jaden <laughs> Ivy, and I just I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> but I thought we needed to bring it up. Uh, we'll, we'll I'll bring up the minutes. Twenty one. So the guy that's in front of him, Killian Hayes. Th- I think this is. To me, this was a perfect uh, encapsulation of the guy that Killian Hayes is because if you look at his stat line and you say he's a backup point guard getting 20 minutes in height, I think you're pretty happy. Six points, six assists, three rebounds. Yeah, he didn't shoot the ball well, but I thought on ball his defense was pretty solid. Uh, there were a couple of lapses here and there, but uh, you know, generally pretty good. So like a solid night, uh, generally a solid night. but. He, he doesn't shoot well from the floor. So when he's a starter and you need a guy that can punish teams when they're focusing so much on Kate, when they're focusing so much on Bojan, all he does is throw like assists and then miss shots. You, you can't do that. You, you need a better third guy. And it can't be Asar because Asar is just not there yet. It's not Stewart. We know that. So you, you look at Killian and he's kind of forced into this role that, that is a little above his, his capability. And he's been so hot from the mid-range, but those are really difficult shots. And guess what? That It didn't fall. It was not going through the hoop against the 76ers. And there wasn't anything else he could fall back on. No free throws, no nothing else. So I, I thought this was just kind of the perfect Killian Hayes night, I guess. You know, like if he's a backup, I think everyone's over the moon. But because he's starting... He needs to do better. Yeah, it, I mean, it's funny when you put it that way in terms of like the perfect Killian Hayes game. But yeah, like I just, it, what you said about having a better third scoring option, I think is so important for this team. Cause like right now, it, the starting group from last night, you had Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, and Asar Thompson, who like Stewart shot one three and he missed it. Asar shot one three and it went over the, over the rim like (laughs) and Killian didn't even take one so I don't know I just think you need like I want to see more of the three guard lineup I guess we can call it with Killian Cade and Jaden Ivy just because I think maybe Ivy could be that third option third scoring option beside Cade and Bojan I agree I think the Duran injury kind of puts a little wrench in that because if you slot in Ivy and maybe put Asar Thompson, bring him off the bench, like maybe you're playing a little bit smaller than you want to, especially with Stu coming off the five or being at the five. So I want to see more of that. Like I don't really see, I guess, a way that it really hurts us. Like you've lost 21 games in a row. Just, just no try it. Uh, it. You don't even have to start them. Like, like stagger Ivy in with the starters a little bit earlier and just see what happens. I know uh, Jack posted a tweet about how few like minutes Cade and Ivy have actually played together. So 
I think we all want to see more of them specifically playing together. But I think even if Killian is still on the floor and just what he does playmaking wise, allowing Cade to be off the ball a little bit more, um, like I think it might help. Um, I, I know you're giving up size and everything, but it's worth a shot. Like anything is worth a shot at this point. Anything's worth a shot. I I, I totally agree. So are you look are you looking at I the am, box yes. score? Oh, uh, bummer. I was gonna give you a, a pop quiz to see if the third uh leading score was in double digits <laughs> or not. Uh they are, but we did this a couple weeks ago and Yet again, if you weren't looking, it's a good question. <laughs> You're not. Did they? They did. It was 10. It was a Sar Thompson yeah, and James Wiseman. I wouldn't guess that All Wiseman right. would be one of them. <laughs> no getting on that one, right? Um, all right, Blake, before we get into some questions, the Pistons played the 76ers again on Friday night. They're still short Jalen Duran. They're still... They've got nothing to throw at Joel Embiid. So here's what I want to ask you. If you could give me a couple, like, keys to the game, is there – if they're going to pull off a win, what has to happen? It, like, it sucks to say it, but, like, the thing – and this isn't a well-thought-out answer. It's kind of just what uh, jumped out at me when you first asked the question. Like, I think Cade just needs to get going, like, scoring early, uh, even though he was – he had like a great game when it's uh, said and done, but he, I remember in the first quarter when I was watching it, like he picked up that second foul towards the end of the first, he was like over four over five in the first quarter. I think if he can come out hot specifically, that would go a long way. Like Bojan is going to get his shots. He'll probably give you however many points as well. Um, and it's asking a lot of Cade Cunningham. Like, I mean, really like this whole season has been, but I think if he can find a way to get going early and maybe like, just find a way to sustain it, like we won't, we wouldn't be trying to claw our way back up as much. So I, I think that's the answer. It's kind of asking him and like a lot of people around him to be perfect, which we know that. They're not. No one is. This team can't make many mistakes, especially when you're playing a team like the Sixers. So I just think the answer is Cade to me. What about you? I uh, that that would have been that would have been one of mine uh, for sure. If if Cade could have a big game, then it, it covers up a lot of problems. And like you said, I mean the margin of error for this team right now, for whatever reason, because they do have a decent amount of talent, but for whatever reason, it's not clicking. So the margin of error for this team really, really slim. And against the 76ers, who are very good, somehow even slimmer. So a lot of guys are going to have to be perfect. I would say, you know, one one thing, something that we've talked about, if you could get a third banana going, you know, I don't care who it is. Like, Killian Hayes, go have yourself a night. Something, something. Jaden Ivey, maybe. If you're allowed to play more than 25 minutes a game, go score a bunch. Go have fun. Like, maybe James Wiseman, make Joel Embiid work. I don't know. But they need a third guy that can push close to 20. And if they can do that, I think that would go a long way. Um, something else that the Sixers always do to the Pistons, it'd be nice if you could flip the script a little bit, would be if you could get the 76ers in some foul trouble, which Cade 
tried his darndest and miraculously it did not happen anyway. Uh, he was pretty much the only, him and Ivy were the only only guys really getting to the line too much. Uh, so more guys, get, attack Joel Embiid, try, try and get him in some foul trouble, try and get a lot of guys in foul trouble. And then, you know, they were trapping Joel Embiid quite a bit in the first half, and it seemed like they went away from it. And I'm not quite sure why. I know Joel Embiid was making a ton of shots anyway, but like, it's Joel Embiid, you know, trap him anyway. Now, now you don't trap him and he just tears you up regardless. So at least give it a shot. I, I like the idea uh, of trying to get the ball right. out of his hands. So those would be my three things. Yeah, those I would mean, be my three. I don't think it yeah, happens. I, I mean, no, I think this team is too good. And then the Pistons fly to Milwaukee to play the Bucks the next night. So you're oh, geez, you I forgot about that. a lot from a team that has lost that many games in a row. Hopefully, uh, the fact that you're playing the same team that you did a couple nights ago, maybe they do something different and it throws off the Sixers. I highly doubt that the Pistons have any chance to win that game, but hopefully we can see something yeah. different. So we'll we'll get into some questions now. Uh, yeah. Blake, Blake, I think I have a foolproof method to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you uh, want to hear it? Is it going to be something about a game ball? If, yeah, if you could take Giannis's ball while he's warming up and just not give it back, maybe he's ejected before it starts. I maybe it might work. It, may, it might be too crazy, but it could work. I, I'm just saying, go get like a trainer or some some intern that you're you know doesn't matter too much. Just just have that guy go steal his ball and run away. See oh, what happens. Well. I think, I think we will have to bring up someone who hasn't scored an NBA bucket so we can put them in, score a point, and try to get away with it. But I like where your head's <laughs> at. That drama between Giannis and the Pacers was hilarious, really kept me entertained all day. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll go into some questions. And Wes, I am definitely going to throw this one to you first because I know – how much you want to talk about Jaden Ivy? The question is from our friend Buzzard Beater in the DBB comments. He asks, "Will Ivy's role be elevated by the second half of the season? How do you think Monty Williams views Ivy's fit in his offense, and will it change?" All right, listen, Buzzard Beater. Um, I don't like talking about Jaden Ivy right now because I feel like a broken record. And I bet you can relate to this too, Blake, because I don't understand how a guy like him is not getting more than 30 minutes a night. I don't understand how a guy like Jaden Ivy is not playing most of his minutes next to Cade Cunningham. Because in that case, almost everything that you're using Cade Cunningham off ball for you could use him off ball next to Jaden Ivey as well. You know, Jaden Ivey can make very simple passes. That That's all that's been happening. That's all Killian Hayes has been doing for Cade Cunningham. They've just been having Cade move. And that's great. You know, it's been helping. So I, like, I'm not knocking that part of it. I'm just saying it, it, it could be Alec Burks. It, it does not have to be Killian Hayes. It could be anybody. Uh, so I don't know why it's not Jaden Ivey. Um, he's a very, very talented player. He's incredibly athletic. He can jump. He's got one of the fastest first steps in the league, it looks like right now. And it seems like he's figured out how to play with a little bit of pace. 
he's slowing down and speeding up and using change of speed to get by guys on the fast break to catch big men off guard. He he's becoming really, really effective around the rim and man, do they need someone that can do that? So will his role be elevated in the second half of the season? I hope so. I thought twice now, there were two separate occasions this season already that I thought, okay, you know, uh, Jaden Ivey is now going to be a featured guy. The first was when he he made those first couple of starts in a row um, when Killian Hayes had gotten hurt. And I thought, okay, you know, maybe this is Jaden Ivey taking that role and he's not going to give it back. Not how it played out. And then against the Pacers, when he had a really nice night and he played 34 minutes, that was the first time all season he was over 30 and he played really well. It's like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe he doesn't start, but he gets starters minutes. I'm cool with that. I'd be fine with that. Nope. Back to 21 against the 76ers in a game where, man, they really needed someone to get to the rim. And he even had six free throw attempts in only 21 minutes. Like, I don't know what more the guy has to do. So in terms of how I think Monty views Ivy's fit in the offense, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to play play armchair psychologist or anything with, with Monty Williams. I know he's a good coach, so I'm not sure what's going on with all of this with Jaden Ivy. It feels way too similar to DeAndre Ayton for me to be comfortable with it. So I, I don't love that aspect of it. Um, so I don't, I have no idea what's going on and man, oh man, do I hope that his role gets elevated quickly. Don't even wait to the second half of the season. Just do it now, please. God, yeah, do anything. It, it doesn't make sense to me either. I know we've, we've talked about it a bunch. Like, the the Aiton comparison, like, yeah, it does feel eerily similar to that to me. But I think there was a bit more of like maybe like a personality clashing with Aiton and and Monty. Like very true. I, like Jaden Ivy doesn't seem like there would be any of those issues to me. Like I, he just seems like an all around good guy. If he's frustrated, like we don't know it. Like. Yeah, would I be a little bit worried that he's just like internalizing it and like it, going through it, and this is like really getting to him too? Like, yeah, but that hasn't really like translated to the court at all for me. Like last night, like I felt I he even looked good. At, like, yeah, has he made some defensive lapses? Yeah, but like the effort is there. Uh, like. He had like a crazy block last night too that I was just like, like, who is this guy? Like the if there is anything like going on between like him and Monty behind the scenes, then he's doing like a great job of hiding it, in my opinion. So I I like I can like you're saying, I can only see his role increasing, but that said week after week we've came on here and been like Jay and Ivy played a great game. He got 30 minutes and then the next game he doesn't play the entire first quarter and we don't know why. And then he's in the game for like 20 minutes. So it doesn't make sense. Um, it, all we can hope at this point is that it changes. Um, and I also wanted to bring yeah. up like our friend YouTube users comment right here. Cause I feel like it kind of relates um, he asked if our guard mm. rotation is a strength like people thought it would be. Will it be in the future? And if it's a weakness, why is that the case? 
personally, I I think there's like a lot up in the air with this one personnel wise. Like, what is this team going to look like by the end of the season, next off season? I like, I and I mentioned, I want to see that three guard lineup more. Like, I don't see any issue with trying it. And if it works, like, keep going. So I think I see that guard rotation as a strength. And you also have a guy like Marcus Sasser who's struggled, but has shown some flashes and you have him in your system that's developing. I think we've seen some flashes from him that prove that he can be a legit backup point guard or spark off the bench one day. Um, So I see it as a strength, but a lot to be determined because of, all the turmoil going on right now. What do you think, Wes? Well, I think to the first part of that question, like, is the guard rotation a strength like people thought it might have been in the offseason? I mean, short answer is probably no, right? I mean, you don't – this is the one area where you can point and say they don't have Monte Morris, and you're totally right. They don't. They don't have a guy that is – or at least last season was one of the best backup point guard quality guys in the NBA. Like they don't have him and and he'd be playing quite a bit right now in this guard rotation and would make it look quite a bit better. Um so so there's that. Part of it I do think is a little bit of coaching and you know who who am I to judge the the rotations? I'm not a, I'm not an NBA coach. So that being said, you know you you look at Cade's playing well. Killian Hayes has been up and down. But Jay Divey is one of the most talented guys on the roster. He's not playing as much. Alec Burks has been really cold. And, you know, Marcus Sasser, as much as we like him, he's really gone through a cold spell recently. It it looked like maybe, you know, he he might turn a corner here. Uh, He he played well in the fourth quarter against the 76ers in in the garbage time minutes. But, you know, who, who knows if that really carries over. So, I'm not sure that the the combinations that have been used in the backcourt so far have been quote unquote the best. And when you're missing a guy like, like Monte Morris, who would have played such a pivotal role in the rotation, like, yeah, the, the guard rotation is not a strength, um, at least not compared to what I thought it could have been, uh, if, if that makes sense. And, you know, hopefully Monte gets back soon and they can fix that. But, who knows? Yeah, um, yeah it's, just, it's just there's so many issues with the team. Like to me, I feel I feel like mm-hmm. at least in the guard room, even without Monte Morris, like they still have I can't call it like depth, but it, they're a lot more, I guess, like solidified than I would say the front court is, at least now with the Duran injury. Um, so I don't know. I'm at least hopeful that at least the trio of like Cade, Ivy and Killian, whatever Killian's future looks like with the Pistons is to be determined. But I I think there is something to it. Um, it's not working right now, but I think each of them have shown something individually and together to a sense that it it could work. Um, it's just such a question mark right now based on like what's going to happen with this franchise. We've all been talking about something needs to change. What's going to change? I don't know. Um, 
So yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And and real quick, if I if I could jump in on on one of them, you know, if we're we're looking for a weakness, right, with, with this guard rotation, right now, honestly, it's probably three point shooting, isn't it? I mean, you're looking at Cade. He's been better recently, uh, but better, I, I think, is 34, 35% on, on good volume from three. Killian, we know, can't shoot from three. Sasser's been cold. Burks, I don't know what's been going on with Alec Burks, but I'm not sure he could hit water if he fell out of a boat. And Jay Divey's three-point percentage has dropped, too. So that that's all of your rotation guards, and none of them are shooting the ball well. Uh, that's, you know, again... Monte Morris probably fixes that. Monte is a very, very good shooter. But right now, man, yeah, it, one of them needs to start hitting some three-point shots. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the Burks cold spell is surprising. So hopefully he, whatever is going on, he gets through it. Because, yeah, he, he only played 13 minutes against the Sixers. And that's a guy I think a lot of people thought you can play him like, 20, 25 minutes a game. If you need him to, he'll get to the line. He'll make shots. Yeah. So hopefully he gets on, on the other end of that soon. But we will stay on coaching, actually, on with a question from Nain Rouge from the DBB comment section. He asked if it took that much money to get Monty Williams to come to Detroit. How into it and into it, I believe he means the job. Is he? What is your feeling about the job he's been doing so far? Very divisive question here. Wes, I'm interested in your thoughts. To the first part of the question, all I will say is that he could have made quite a bit of money not coaching. So he showed up and he's been here in Detroit coaching every day since being hired. I like I, I said it earlier, I'm not going to play armchair psychologist. So I assume he's very, very into it and he wants to win. I doubt very much that he's happy to be on a 21-game losing streak. I doubt that very much. So what's the the feeling on the job he's been doing so far? I mean, we, we've kind of touched on it. We, we've beat around the bush a little bit with it, but it, it's tough to kind of balance the idea and fact. Like it, is, it is an objective fact that Monty Williams is a very good NBA basketball coach. There are years, full seasons of proof that say Monty Williams is a very, very good basketball coach. And then at the same time, you look at some of the decisions rotationally that he's made this season and it doesn't make a lot of sense and they have lost 21 games in a row. So I'm not quite sure what to make about that. Uh, I'm, I'm really at a loss with it. I, I struggle with it a lot. I, what, yeah, what do you I mean, think? I think for the first part, like whether he's into the job, I don't think we can really question that. Like, and I'm just doing that. I'm not saying yeah. that based off this season, like, I understand how uh, people can ask this question. It's just after everything we've seen from him as like uh, from his playing days as a coach, even like as a human, like it, I am confident that he is into it. Like he wants this streak snapped. Like yeah. I, I mean, I just like remember what he did in Phoenix and specifically in that like bubble run and, just like seeing how he brought that like young group of guys that probably wasn't very like confident that they could win at a high level, like brought them together, went on a run. 
didn't make the playoffs, but the next year they acquired Chris Paul and had that much time together and made her run to the finals. Like he did an incredible job there. Um, and not like, yeah, exactly. Like everything else he's done. Like, so I personally can never like question that. Um, I don't think he's doing a great or maybe even like a good job so far with the Pistons this season, just because of everything you said, rotations wise, like Jaden Ivy's minutes, like doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, I think there is a sense to it of just dealing with all the injuries, trying to figure out your rotations. Like we don't want to hear those excuses, but maybe it is like impacting his thoughts, but he has seen seemed sort of reluctant to making changes on the fly, whether in game or game over game. So, I mean, at this point, like the 21 game win streak, like I will keep saying it. I think you just need to constantly adjust things, figure out if anything will work. Um, So yeah, I'd like to see some more frequent adjustments from him in terms of the lineup and rotationally. Um, but other than that, like, I think he wants to be here and wants to like turn this team at least into a team that can win a game more than anyone else. Wes, do you have anything else to add on that? Yeah, I'll I'll just say this quickly. Uh, I, I play, I played college basketball. It was not high level college basketball. I did not play like high level D one college basketball, but I played college basketball and let, let me tell you the amount of work effort buy-in competitive like compete level all all that intangible stuff that it takes to play low level college basketball really 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 high all right so if you start climbing up the ladder you know up the divisions up into europe up into the nba i don't care if you're a player i don't care if you're in the front office i don't care if you're the coach it takes a lot more compete level and buy-in and all, all this intangible stuff that we're talking about right now with Monty Williams. It takes an incredibly higher amount than what I had to do at my lower level college basketball experience. So I, I don't think any of us can question these guys because of what they've had to put in to get here if they want it or not. So I, I will, I will frequently stay away from that one because I, I am sure he's not happy about losing this many games in a row. Like I doubt he's sleeping yeah, at 100%. all. Man. And it, <laughs> like, we've said it, this team just needs a win. Like hey, you never, I mean, <laughs> the Pistons aren't a good team. So I don't want to say like they get one win and they can rattle yeah. off a run. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is like, maybe it can change the energy, just at the compete level. Maybe those like fourth quarter mistakes and just like mental lapses will go down eventually. So yeah, I mean, I think winning is just, excuse me, losing is just so like prevalent yeah. with them right now that it's hard to get out of and they just need to do it. Um, so Hopefully that happens. Well, let me just point out, Blake, let me just point out right now. And you see this online. You'll see this if you talk to business fans. 
it feels like, man, even if they win one, they're going to go on another big, long losing streak. They did win two in a row this year. They did to open up the season. This is a team that was up 17 points in the third quarter against a not good, but record-wise, much better Portland Trailblazers team. They were up against these 76ers going into the third quarter as well. There's more talent here than what the record suggests. I know that's not like a popular thing to say, but there is. And I'm not saying if they win one, they're going to go on like a 20-game winning streak. But two, three, four, sure. Who knows? They've got a monkey on their back yeah, right now. Yeah, 100%. Just don't 100%. rule it out. They're, they're not this bad, no matter like how much flack they get. Like They're not. And be, like I think it was Jamal Mosley, the Magic's head coach, who, who said they're much better mm-hmm. than their record. We can look at Marcus Morris. Yeah, we can look at like expected wins that advanced stat. I think they're somewhere around like four and a half to five. Like they're not like they're bad. I need to preface anything I say with that, but they're not as bad as their record. So, man, just yeah, (laughs) they need to get that win. But we'll we'll move on and stay sort of in like the front office because I know like just conversations between Monty Williams and Troy Weaver. They're like, we don't really know what it's like behind the scenes. So we can't speculate on that. Um, But the second hoop in the DBB comments asks if there's any pressure on Weaver to use our first round pick in the draft this year. So he's saying uh, selecting a player as opposed to trading it because we can't trade that first round pick because the Knicks own it. Um, Trade it for, I'm sorry, draft a player who is known for his shooting acumen first and then speak to his athleticism second as opposed to the reverse. Um, So I think we're finally, not finally, but maybe too early starting to look at the draft, um, which I mean, what else can you do with this record? Um, And yeah, this this team needs a, a shooter. They need more scoring ability is there more pressure on Troy Weaver to target that skill? I don't know. Like, I think when you are vying for a top pick, you're going to pick the best player on the board, especially when you're on, when it's a team like the Pistons where you just need to accumulate talent. I will say the draft this year, haven't fully dove into each and every prospect, but the draft is not the most ideal for us to be in this position. There's any number of man, like five names that could probably go number one at this point, And that will probably change a ton. Um, one of those is Jacoby Walter on Baylor, who he's probably more in like the three to five range, but he's like a combo guard who can shoot the heck out of the ball. Like I think that might, be a guy who Troy Weaver targets. Uh, also, Damon Allred, who's another DBB writer, mentioned in our Slack chat that he thought Walter's fit with the Pistons was great. So I, I'm not saying, like, if the Pistons happen to win the lottery and, like, are they going to draft for fit? I'm not sure, but I think if there was any year to do it, it would be this one. I don't know if you do it at number one, but it could be possible. So Wes, I know I took the reins on that one a little bit, but if you 
if the Pistons happen to win the lottery or just get in that top like three, four spots, do you think they target someone specifically for their shooting acumen? Well, Blake, I am glad that you took the reins on this one because, well, for two reasons. One, I really haven't started looking at the draft, so I I have no idea who the options would even be at this point. I I have a vague idea, but not nearly to the level of most other other, uh, analysts at this point, especially draft experts such as yourself. So I am glad that we kicked this to you first. No, 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 no. Don't sell yourself short, my friend. Uh, you are DBB's oh, resident yeah. draft expert for my <laughs> introduction. So that's what you are. Uh, to this question, I think any year you have a very good argument for drafting for fit. I do honestly believe that the role an organization plays in the development of young players goes really uh, undervalued and under talked about. You could draft a supremely talented player and put him in a really bad, bad spot, and he's not going to turn into the guy you want. So I, I think drafting slightly for fit should always be on the table. What I want to ask you, though, based on this question. So you, you look at the young guys the Pistons have. You know, you've got Kelly and, and, and Stewart. They're, if they're both there next year, they're both on a new contract. So in terms of guys they're prioritizing developmentally, you've got Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Asar Thompson, Marcus Sasser. That's four guys. That's four guys. Am I forgetting anybody? Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't think so. So that's, that's four guys and you're going to draft. Oh, Jalen Durham. I'm forgetting okay. Jalen Durham. So you got five guys. <laughs> wow. That was bad. That's bad me on me. Too. Out of sight, out of mind. I'm sorry, Jalen Durham. Wow. All right. Point is five guys, five guys. You are prioritizing pretty strongly to try and develop for your future. Are you really going to add a sixth? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough, but like it, I'm just going back to what something is probably going to change. I don't know what it is. Like, I I think it's mainly that like four of like Duran, Asar, um, Cade and Ivy, whether one of them ends up like getting traded or what it ends up to be. But like, I don't know. Like, it, the the bad thing about the draft is is when there is so much speculation and uncertainty on who could be number one, and the Pistons have a fourteen percent chance at that pick. It, say they end in the top three, like yeah, there's gonna be a team that wants to like targets a specific player is up with them, but like when there's so much uncertainty, like other teams can't say I'm going to go up, like move up to get this guy. And like the Pistons are then put in a position where they have to make a pick and say they end up number one. Like you just have to take, in my opinion, the best player on the board. A lot of people's best player on the board is going to be different this year, at least as it stands now. Um, And then try to make it work. Like, yeah, are you, you're going to have to pay, everyone down the road if you see them all as part of the organization but i don't think you can i guess like opt out of that opportunity just because like we already have guys at home i mean if it can get you something in a trade like someone that can support and put around those young guys like do it i don't know if that 
would happen, especially this year. Uh, what do you, what what do you think? I'm I don't think that you can practically develop and focus on developing six guys. I don't know if that means you trade a pick when we get to the off season for a you know a fleshed out player, or if you move one of these four or five guys that would be kind of core pieces in right now on this rebuild. And then you go in and you take that pick knowing it's going to be high. I could see an argument either way, but I'm not sure how you can practically maximize the development of six high potential NBA basketball players. Call it five high potential NBA basketball players. At the same time, one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. Sure. Five. I don't yeah. know. And yeah, you can't pay can. all of them, which makes it tough. And uh, YouTube. You... Well, they got to they got to be good enough to get paid. Right. Like and <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't Cade's know. eligible for a max extension this offseason, which I think mm-hmm. he will get. And I will not I will not panic at all. But it comes like you're saying with the other guys, like who are you going to pay? Is anyone that how much are mm-hmm what do they earn essentially it's it's very interesting that's what happens when you're rebuilding it it just comes to a point where you have yep. to make tough decisions and i think it's going to be really tough for the pistons um before we move on youtube user asks who my top pick is for the pistons right now i'm just i'm just going to bring yes. back up jacoby walter cuz like he's he mainly plays off the ball like he has there's some like playmaking concerns. He's six five, so not like super tall, but he has a really long frame and he just like shoots the heck out of the ball. Like I I think he's the best fit for the Pistons right now. And the funny thing is, if the Pistons win the lottery and pick first, they could pick him. If they fall out of the top four and pick five, he might still also be there, which uh is probably crazy to say, but the draft is just wide open right now. And also with, uh, yep, Alex Sar is also another guy um, who is maybe like debatably the top prospect right now, but I just think Walter is the best fit. And if anyone listening or live with us right now is a Michigan State fan, he is playing at Little Caesars Arena on Saturday against Michigan State. So be sure to check that one out and you can get started on your draft scouting. Um but we will move on to the next question. Sort of staying in the realm of trades. Would whoever calls the shots actually trade Jaden Ivy? Wes, what do you think? You guys really <laughs> want us to get into the heads of some of these decision makers, don't you? Wow. Um, maybe. Maybe. It, so if you ask me to honestly make a prediction, no, I, I do not think Jaden Ivey would get traded. I, I am obviously on record saying that I would be cool with the idea of going after Zach Levine, knowing that it would probably cost Jaden Ivey. To be fair to myself, a, a lot of that is based on Monty Williams' uh, inability to play Jaden Ivey more than 30 minutes a night. And if that's going to be the reality, I would rather just kind of cash that in now. Um do I think that would actually happen? No, I would not expect it. 
by any means. It would be a surprise, I think, at this point. Um, I think it'd be a surprise to trade any of those four guys that are kind of uh, us fans have, have looped in as the four group, you know, moving forward, being Cade Cunningham, Jay Ivey, Asar Thompson, and, and Jalen Duran. So would Troy Weaver actually move one of those guys? I wouldn't put money on it. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, uh, it's funny because like I thought that he would be the one of that group that maybe if you, there's someone out there that you can go and get a star, just like like a second score, like a Zach Levine. Like, yeah, I would be fine with it. Um, but I, I mentioned back then, and it still remains true. Like, I would be super scared to trade Jaden Ivey just because he is part oh, of yeah. that that four, first of all. And two, like we haven't seen the full potential of what he can do. If you trade him to a team like the Bulls and he just breaks out and then we have to play him four times a year, that would not be fun for anyone involved. So, I, yeah, like we can't speculate and get in the head of like, all the decision makers I'm right now I'm leaning towards no, because like is trading Jane and Ivy a full panic move. I don't know. Like, I think it's at the very least a semi panic move. Um, and I don't know even how bad it is. Like, I don't know if anyone is going to press that panic button to the sense of sending one of those young players out it depends what you would get in return, but uh, yeah, right now I'm leaning towards no, just because what we've seen from him has looked so good and we haven't seen the full, the full potential of it and it could come back to bite us. So, Well, look, I mean, we, we sat here uh, at the beginning of this podcast and talked about Jaden Ivey and how honestly well he's been playing. You know, we, we talked about it last week. His per minute numbers are up. The only thing that's down percentage wise is his three point shooting. And it's honestly still pretty good off the catch too. When, when you split it out, I think he's up at uh, 37 or 38, something around there. So by every estimation, by any way you look at it, Jaden Ivey's playing really good basketball. So you can't say that and then turn around and say, well, you know, they, there's no risk of moving on from Jaden Ivey. Like, man, that could definitely bite you in the butt. In a few years, but you know, you know, early I'm talking about the organizational context, right? If you've got a super talented guy and you don't put him in the right spots, then he's not going to be the type of super talented guy that he could become. Right. If Jaden Ivey is not going to get 30 minutes a night, he's not going to be a featured scorer on offense and you're not going to lean into his strengths as a, you know, secondary playmaker, then I'm not sure Jaden Ivey is really going to become the guy that we think he can be, you know, like, and, and maybe then moving on and tending him somewhere else to get a star player back is actually best for both sides because you've maximized the asset that Jaden Ivey is now. And then Jaden Ivey gets to go somewhere that mm, sees what the rest of us see in Jaden Ivey, you know, I mean, that'd be bitter, but yeah. I think it's on the table. Yeah, I think it's on the table. I just don't know. Like, I struggle with how likely it is, I guess. Um, and yet, yeah, like Me too. a YouTube user brings up, it, 
is there any pressure on Weaver to do something before the draft to keep his job? Like, this is a really interesting question too, because at like at what point does it come to we're not gonna like make a move to bring someone in to like help this season and just like get out of whatever is going on? Like, is like if Troy Weaver makes a move at the deadline to trade Bojan Bogdanovic for draft picks and whatever dead money he can take on and cap flexibility for next year, like, is that making a move to save his job? Like, I don't know because the team is going to be worse immediately. So like, can he pull, do something, do like a magic trick and, have someone take on Joe Harris's contract and somehow have the team get better from that. Like, like what's the move he can make right now that brings him job security, I guess, after this year, like, like what's a move he can make to make this team better right now. That's realistic is what I struggle to come up with. And I think if he were to have to make a move to keep his job, that move has to be making the team better immediately because if he makes the team immediately worse for draft assets and cap flexibility, then all the like uproar about his job is just going to get even louder. So I don't know. Wes, what do you think? I'll just say this, Blake, how many games have they lost in a row? Who's the GM? Has he been fired yet? I don't think he's getting fired this year. Look, uh, most owners would have pulled the plug sooner than this. Most teams probably would have yanked the cord on this a lot earlier into this losing streak with how early it came into the year, what the expectations were for the team internally, by all counts, right? It, It sounds like everyone involved with the organization was expecting them to be playing, you know, meaningful games into the spring. And that is, if that happens, some sort of miracle went down. Right. And we'll all be thankful if that's what it turns out and, you know, turns out to be, but at this point does not look like it. So they're approaching on, they've already set a team record for a losing streak. They're approaching the NBA record and no one's lost their jobs. You could be upset about that. You could be happy about it because they've been stable, right? And there is a lot to be said for stability in this league. I, I am not going to argue that. So take that for what you will. But I would be shocked if there's any movement on him being let go during the season. And if he makes it through the season, then why wouldn't you give him another offseason with a lot of cap space, with a lot of draft capital? to say, hey, turn it around now or next year you're out. You know what I mean? Like, it it feels like if it hasn't happened by now that he's at least safe for a little bit. And I'm not even sure that's the wrong wrong way to do it either. You know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm upset about this. I I could see it. I I think it makes sense. I mean, I think there is an argument of like, what what is this team on pace to win like seven games if that at this point like like I yeah. think there is uh argument that if they are this historically bad team like do 
do you let Troy Weaver have control over that cap space in another draft? Like, I think that'll be interesting when we get to that point. But like you said, (laughs) it's gone so far already. Like, and it, like, we, all right, we're recording on December 14th. So tomorrow is December 15th when all the players who sign new deals in the off season are eligible to be traded, which is like, the unofficial start of trade season, a trade isn't likely to happen soon. Like they rarely happen. Uh, But I think this is when like things will start to happen. So I don't like, I feel like we're going to make a move. I don't know what it is. And I guess the, how big or little the move is will like tell me where or Troy Weaver and I guess the rest of the organization's, head is at because as much as we want to know where their head is at, like we don't right now. So that'll give us some, some inkling a bit. So. Well, well, let me ask you, Blake, like from, from my perspective, I I think you look at this team right now and I'm not sure that any, you know, kind of middle of the rotation move would do all that much to help. I'm not sure if you could add, you know, three role players that are solid, if that would really lead to that many more wins right now. So I almost think that if you're going to make a move this year, like you you should try to cash in something, you know, maybe that's just Bowie on and getting creative with the protections on the pick for this year, right. Moving that pick. uh, Mm -hmm. Cause you can, you can basically, Theoretically, you could guarantee it if the Knicks don't get it and the Knicks aren't going to get it. So you you could. You can make it happen and probably cash in on a bigger fish. I'm not saying like a you know capital S star player, but at least someone that can knock a couple of these guys down a peg in, in the pecking order, right? I, I feel like that's the only path to actually improving the team yeah, right now. I, I think the tough thing for me is like, like if we're not, if we're leaving like Ivy and the young players out, like your best trade asset is Bowie on, but like trading him, even though long-term he doesn't make sense for this team, like that makes your team worse. Most likely. Uh, I don't know how much worse anyone can really stomach. If it, like contenders will definitely be interested in him. Like what will they give up and what will the Pistons be willing to take back? is the interesting question for me. Yeah. So we'll find out soon. I, like, I'm confident there's going to be a move, but it, I don't know. Look, Agreed. Hopefully it's just someone that can score the basketball, man. Um, and I'll say this really quickly. If they do make kind of a smaller move, they need more <laughs> second round picks. They do. Like, no one's going to like that. But if you look at their draft covered, they don't have a lot of second round picks for a team in as rough of a spot as this one is cheap shots at rotation players. Really, really valuable. It would be great if they could add some second yeah. round picks. Um, yeah. And those help you with like trade flexibility as well. Um, I also, yep. I, I mean, I saw yep. some rumors about like Keldon Johnson possibly being on the market today, which I thought was interesting. So Maybe we can poke around there. A couple, a couple teams who are going through it right now could find a way to help each other out. Maybe, but 
Oh man, if that's not shuffling deck chairs <laughs> on the Titanic, I don't know what. Oh my gosh. One more. Yeah, we Let's do one more. wrap it up on this one. A little bit of a fun one. This is from our guy, The Borns on DBB. And I will be honest, I paraphrase his question a little bit here. Um, will the Pistons win another game this year? That's the year of 2023, not this season. And if not, then when will they have the best chance to win a game in 2024? Will they set the record for worst record ever? And the reason I said I paraphrase this question is because one, I couldn't fit the full comment. And two, he also looped in, will they set the record for worst record ever to be in similar company as the Detroit Lions and Detroit Tigers? And I wanted to leave that off off the screen, <laughs> but I had to mention it um, just because, man. <laughs> I hope not. Um, okay. You know what? Will they win another game this year? So their next games, here, here are the games they have going uh, into the new year. They've got the 76ers, then the Bucks, the Atlanta Hawks, Utah Jazz, Brooklyn Nets, twice, Boston Celtics, and Toronto Raptors. There are a few potentially winnable games there. The Jazz are obviously beatable. I don't think the Hawks are, you know, juggernauts. The Raptors are beatable. And, you know, the Brooklyn Nets twice, like Brooklyn's solid. They're not incredible. I, I think some of those could be wins. I do honestly believe they get a win here before the end of the year. I I do. I, I think it'll probably happen. It. I don't think people understand how hard it is to lose this many games in a row in the NBA when all of these guys are incredibly talented basketball players and all of these coaches are the best in the world. Like it is, there's a reason this does not happen a lot. And it's so shocking that there are two 20, uh, almost 20 game losing streaks at the same time right now. There's a reason that it's rare. So it's already hard to get to where they've gotten. I just, I think they're going to get one coming up shortly i don't know who though i don't know who. maybe they maybe they like surprise the bucks i don't know they beat the bucks once last yeah, season I, think. I mean i when i was looking at the schedule like i i think they'll get one but like i don't know what, what do any of us know at this point but when i <laughs> they might get two. Oh man uh... if they win one <laughs> but I kind of looked at that like Brooklyn back-to-back as one that stood out to me, especially because we go to Brooklyn and then have a couple days off and then get them at home the day after Christmas. I, I know everyone's looking at that Utah game right now. I just, I don't know. I feel like that's one, like we're probably still going to be on the streak at that point. And that's going to be one that we all have circled that is a game we should win to snap it and, Maybe it's not. So I don't know. I just, anything can happen on any given night. Like we've talked about, they're going to just win a random game, one that they're counted out of, and that'll be that. Um, so I'm looking at that Brooklyn back-to-back personally. I uh, don't think you're going into Boston winning a game, and I don't think they beat Toronto either. If the streak heads into 2024, the best, it, so 
The Pistons start the new year on a West Coast road trip, which I feel like could not be worse t- timing. But they put- okay, but Rockets, Jazz, Warriors, Kings, Spurs, Rockets, like Wizards. You, there are yeah, a lot of games in early I, January they can win. I have there that game on the tenth home against the Spurs circled because no matter if both of our streaks are broken, that is going to be a fun one. Um, I mean, I agree. It, like that has to be one you circle. If this streak gets into the new year, I, I mean, man, I hope it doesn't. I feel like every week we come on here and say like, they're going to get one. Uh, it's a matter of time and it doesn't have it. Unfortunately, I don't think they're getting one in the next three, but you never know. So, ah, oh, man, I, I just, I, Look, I don't. <laughs> all right, here, here's my soapbox, and it's a, it'll be a short one. They're not going to go two and eighty. They're not. Like, it feels like they might right now, but they won't. Like, I, I can say that extremely confidently. They're not going to go two and eighty. So, there's going to be a few wins that that come in here. And are they going to be the worst team in NBA history? I doubt it. They, We've talked about it. They do have a lot of talent on this team. They are better than this record. You know, maybe it's only three or four games better than this record, but if they've won three or four more games than they have right now, we're not talking about them like this. We're just normal disappointed. We're not, you know, pun it to the moon disappointed. Uh, so I'll, I'll give one more game that maybe they can win and we talked about this game earlier you brought it up with the nets playing a team back to back in the nba is generally difficult to win them both generally it's usually pretty tough from one night two nights later to go beat them again (laughs) sixers (laughs) I think you, know, you never know. They could. I think they could shock them. And it is. It is tough. It is really difficult to beat a team twice in a row like this. The the Pistons just played them. They can. They just watch the film. You know, it's on the road. They got nothing to lose. It's a good team. I can yeah, see it. I mean that. That's where my head was at when I pointed out Brooklyn. It, it's just with Philly. It's just like. It's just the front court and dealing with yeah. the bead. And I think I saw Marvin Bagley is going to be out again tomorrow. So I, I'm just he I'm is. just worried. It's like same old story. But but you're right. It, it is hard hard to beat a team twice in a row. So you never know. You never know. Maybe they'll get one. If they do, we'll <laughs> we'll all credit you. Um, but maybe I'm just trying to be too hey. positive. Who knows? I choose to go into these games yeah. with optimism, Blake. I, I, I choose it. to. I mean, it it depends how depending how it goes, like that optimism may stay for longer or shorter. So I, I respect that. I <laughs> man, I hope it's at least a competitive game. So Love. yeah, Wes, any any final thoughts before we close this one out? No, I can't think of anything to add. Good show. Thank you for everyone for joining. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Glad I uh, figured out 
the camera situation on my end oh. to jump on. Oh, like man. This. Wes, so this you, you are a trooper. You uh, really played like a, a flu game, but kind of like a Wi-Fi game on this one. So huge shout out to you. Huge congratulations for graduating today. Um, and special thank you to everyone who tuned in with us live or if you're listening to it um, on whatever pl- podcast platform. Special thank you to Sean Court, managing editor of Detroit Bad Boys, for supporting the show. And shout out to you guys again for all the great questions and talking points tonight. We'll catch you next week, whether on your commute or live with us on YouTube. We can't wait to talk more Detroit basketball with you all.